Greetings today, mothers. So as you know, I have been commissioned as an older woman in Titus 2, 3 through 5 to teach younger women, among other things, to love their children. So that's what I wanted to focus on today. And truly, as Psalms 127.3 says, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So I hope this supports you today, what I have to say along these lines. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I left off in part one with that amazing quote by Elizabeth Stone that so many of us can relate to that says, making the decision to have a child, it's momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. I mean, can you believe how intensely you can love? Often we don't realize this until after we have a child. And I wonder if God put that in us, you know, this capacity of natural affection that's so intense so that we could know just how passionately he loves us remembering that our hairs are even numbered and just how much he loved the world when he gave his only begotten son. I mean, I think that's one of the first things that hit me when I realized how much I could love another human being after my daughter was born. Just the measure of that gift that God gave to us so that we could spend eternity with him. So motherhood, I think motherhood is often the college of love. It was for me, and I have a feeling if you're already a mom, you know just what I mean. You know, another thing to think about is that if you are not raised in the light of God's wisdom, parenthood actually becomes an opportunity to do something very... I think I'm going to say very Jesus. You have this opportunity to give your children anything good for their hearts, souls, minds, and even their physical needs, anything that you did not get. I say it's very Jesus because Jesus was not loved the way he deserved to be loved. And he loved us anyway to the point of sacrificing himself. And you can do that too in a small way. When you give your children what you did not get. Louise Hart has said, our children give us the opportunity to become the parents we always wish we had. You know, the truth is you've never been nor will ever be involved in a more worthy cause than this one that you've commenced, and that is motherhood. Neil Postman says, children are the living messages that we send to a time we will not see. And I think this quote from Rose Kennedy plays into that as well. She said, whenever I held my newborn baby in my arms, I used to think that what I said and did to him could have an influence not only on him, but on whom he met, not only for a day or a month or a year, but for all eternity. A very, very challenging and exciting thought for a mother. Challenging and exciting, she calls it. Yes, it's weighty, but it's also a fantastic challenge and super exciting to think about the influence that we have as we're shepherding the souls of our children. I mean, it is serious business indeed. But listen to the wisdom of young Anne Frank when she says, quote, how true daddy's words were when he said, all children must look after their own upbringing. 
Parents can only give good advice or put them in the right path, but the final forming of a person's character lies in their own hands, unquote. So, free will. I mean, I used to, here's a confession. I used to study mothers since my early teens so that I could collect in my own mothering someday a recipe so loving, like so attentive, so thorough, so toward the goal of spiritual independence, like so spot on in the way that my child should go, that it would be essentially removing the free will of my children. When I finally came to that realization that I could not love and teach away my children's choices, I instead started praying more fervently that God would open and direct their hearts toward wisdom and truth. So I would love it if I could hand to you today like this recipe that takes away your children's free will. It just doesn't exist. And that's why Lord Chesterfield wrote to his son these words that I think sum up early childhood instruction. He says, quote, While you were a child, I endeavored to form your heart habitually to virtue and honor before your understanding was capable of showing you their beauty and utility. So, unquote. A lot of times our instruction, our children do not see the utility of those virtues that we're trying to put in them. And so even before they understand the why, we still are there endeavoring to form in their heart habitually those virtues that are so honorable and so useful in their life in the future. So why is it always so stressed that the first five years of life are the most consequential? Here's why. We must teach our children while they are young because it's what's called this law of primacy. And the law states that the earlier an experience, the more potent its effect. So here's why. It influences how later experiences will be interpreted. So when we love them well and early on give them reason to respect our benevolent direction, much of that goes into their subconscious and will help them bond well in the future and love well their own future families. So the ripple effects of your efforts are really, really going to go beyond what you will ever see. Uh, Mr. Fred Rogers had some rules on rules. He said, call them rules or call them limits. He said, good ones, I believe, have this in common. They serve reasonable purposes. They are practical and within a child's capability. They are consistent and they are an expression of loving concern. Fred Rogers. The French have a saying that says laziness is sometimes mistaken for patience. And I think we can see that sometimes in parenting. I mean, parenting takes more energy than any one person has. And that is why it's a job for at least two people. I mean, <laughs> I remember in the early years, there was about six months where we lived with my parents. And I'm telling you, it took four people in that case. So, it used to be extended family, and so there would be grandmothers nearby and aunts, and it would be the whole village coming together in a group effort to raise the children. So now, at best, it is often two people. So Proverbs 19.18 says, discipline your son while there is hope, and that takes a lot of work. And our indolence is not endurance. That's the thing. It's laziness. So let's not turn a blind eye. Edmund Burke reminds us there is a limit at which forbearance ceases to be a virtue. I mean, ain't that the truth in parenting? So 
truly discipline your son while there is hope, even when you don't know where you're going to wrangle that energy. We must tend to the discipline needs of our children and ask God to give you the energy to meet those needs. Another pitfall, George Herbert said, an idle youth, a needy age. Someone else has connected this idea of when there's idleness in youth, there is neediness in age. I mean, what a great reminder that from the time that a child can walk, put a dust rag in their hand and start teaching meaningful productivity. You know, that's what gives us all our self-worth. The earlier a child knows that they are contributing to the good of the family, the better. Children thrive when parents set before them increasingly difficult, but always meetable challenges. Let's strengthen our children in this way toward confident independence. I mean, that's the goal, right? It's kind of like resistance training with weights. We must provide challenges and be immovable in all the right ways. And someone has noted that growing up is a process that requires things that one can push against in order to become stronger. You know, Jordan Peterson has a lot of good things to say in his book, 12 Rules for Life. If you have got a college-age kid, read it. Listen to it on an audiobook. See what you think. I think it's got some outstanding ideas that probably, if you got a, even a bright high schooler, I think they would understand much of what Jordan Peterson offers. So put your thinking caps on. This is always necessary when we're listening to Jordan Peterson. He teaches us how discipline is benevolence when he notes this. Ready? Seatbelts on? Okay. Children are damaged when those charged with their care, afraid of any conflict or upset, no longer dare to correct them and leave them without guidance. It is an act of responsibility to discipline a child. It is not anger. At misbehavior. It is not revenge for misdeeds. It is instead a careful combination of mercy and long-term judgment. Proper discipline requires effort. Indeed, is virtually synonymous with effort. The fundamental moral question is not how to shelter children completely from misadventure and failure so that they never experience any fear or pain, but how to maximize their learning so that useful knowledge may be gained with minimal Parents must reward those attitudes and actions that will bring their children success in the world outside the family and use threat and punishment when necessary to eliminate behaviors that will lead to misery and failure. Poorly socialized children have terrible lives. Rules should not be multiplied beyond necessity. Nature and society will punish in draconian manner whatever errors of childhood behavior remain uncorrected, unquote. So Peterson goes on to state the importance of using our best judgment for allowing children to take some, I mean, not all, but some calculated risks. And of course, we're not going to be talking about risking things that are lethal to the soul. But we are talking about all the other little risks in life. These risks that help us gain confidence. So here's what Peterson says on this. He says, and these quotes, you guys, these quotes are often kind of strung together portions of one of a longer paragraph or a longer chapter. So again, I do invite you to read his 12 rules for life to get the bigger picture. 
So Peterson says, they, our children, want to triumph over danger. They're trying to become competent, and it's competence that makes people as safe as they can truly be. When playgrounds are made too safe, children either stop playing in them or start playing in unintended ways. Kids need playgrounds dangerous enough to remain challenging. People, including children, who are people too after all, don't seek to minimize risk. They seek to optimize it. They drive and walk and love and play so that they achieve what they desire. Thus, if things are made too safe, people, including children, start to figure out ways to make them more dangerous again. When encouraged, we prefer to live on the edge there. We can still be both confident in our experience and confronting the chaos that helps us develop. We are hardwired for that reason to enjoy risks, some of us more than others. We feel invigorated and excited when we work to optimize our future performance while playing in the present. Otherwise, we lumber around sloth-like, unconscious, unformed and careless, overprotected. We will fail when something dangerous, unexpected, and full of opportunities suddenly makes its appearance, as it inevitably will." Unquote. So we need to think long and hard about how to be attentive to our children and at the same time allow them to make calculated risks that would be good for them to practice and test their abilities toward things they must stretch in order to achieve. So let's think long and hard whether in this situation or that, whether a consequence should be mitigated. So your child chooses to do something that they're paying a consequence for. Should you take that consequence away for them? I mean, sometimes mercy is in order, but other times mercy is not mercy. I mean, mercy is not good for their long-term well-being, and it's best for them to pay some of the consequences for their lack of discipline or lack of moral judgment. Hubert Spencer has noted, it is the function of parents to see that their children habitually experience the true consequences of their conduct, unquote. I mean, I know it's hard to watch you guys, but at times it is what love does is to allow our children to pay for some of the consequences for their actions. So some today are listening whose children have grown up to reject the good that you taught them. And I can relate to what George Herbert says when he says, if goodness lead him not, yet weariness may toss him to my breast, unquote. So whatever it takes for that prodigal to return, even if weariness of one's sins, uh, those consequences that follow deep involvement in sin. I mean, we will take their humble, repentant heart back any time, right? We stand there watching like that prodigal father in Luke 15. I mean, have you read the beautiful chapter of Luke 15, where God uses a parable to describe his experience as he watches us depart and go into sin and then return back 
to him upon our repentance. And so in Luke 15, 20, it says, but while he was still in the distance, this the prodigal son who goes away and has wasted everything that the father gave him and comes to his senses and he returns to his father. And I always visualize this as for some reason at sunset on a windy road and he can see his son in tattered clothing turning the corner. That's how my mind plays it out. But it says, while he was still in a distance, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. So the father sees him coming back. I mean, this is my dream spiritually to see this myself someday. And so he's filled with compassion. So he doesn't wait for the son to walk all the way up to the door. He's, he leaves, he runs towards his son. He leaves and embraces him and kisses him. So what a beautiful, beautiful story of the return of really the souls who have strayed back to God and God's welcome to him. But did you notice something about this story? This father didn't go visit him in the far country. Uh, he did not have him home on special feast days and pretend like everything was fine with the soul of his son. He doesn't appear to be sending more and more financial support to ease the consequences of his son's poor decisions. Think about this model in this parable that God chose to describe himself and his response as advice about what to do during an adult child's rebellion and what to do upon a repentant child's return. So I hope you never have a prodigal child. And today I shared my thoughts with you in order to help support your efforts to grow happy, strong, God-loving children who are a blessing to you always and a force in this world for only good wherever they go. So God bless your efforts. I pray for fruitful labor for you in this grand, grand endeavor and that God will give the increase for all your efforts.